Welcome to the Roadie Medic Podcast, and thank you for choosing to listen. The Roadie Medic Podcast is about the people who make up the life of live events. In this episode, our Wanderlust tour takes us into the creative world of film and TV production, as we make our way through security, onto location, and onto set, so that we can get into the minds of the film industry creatives, who, to outsiders, might appear to work in a stimulating and glamorous field, but who in fact face higher rates of mental illness, suicide than the general population. But how can this be so? And what can be done? And in a time when the economy is tanking, with the UK GDP falling 20% last month, surely, yes, there are ethical and moral reasons to care. But why should the film industry take note? And why should they get their house in order? Today, we'll meet Matt Longley, an industry insider who, following the tragic deaths of friends and colleagues, within the business, created a mental health charity six feet from the spotlight, aimed at meeting the unmet needs of artists and creatives grafting in this high-risk area. So hello Matt, thanks for offering your time today. Could you just tell us a bit about yourself um, uh, and, and your story, what kind of got you into setting up Six Feet from the Spotlight? Yeah, so uh, I started working, I was working in the equipment hire business um, and I started working in the film and TV industry about 10 years ago. Um, we used to uh, hire portable roadways which are three, three meter by three meter aluminium panels that allow the crews to get into forests and strange places like that. So um, I was really lucky. I started my first job was on Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows um, where they had loads and loads of trackway didn't know how much they had didn't know how much it was costing it was costing them far too much so I went down there to Leveson Studios to try and resolve some of the issues there um, and got used got to meet all the crew um, spent about a year uh, working down there and then followed some of the crew from there to some of the other projects that they worked on so I ended up on um, Batman the Dark Knight Rises and built a, a lovely bridge for them at Woolerton Hall in Nottinghamshire um, and also then on Warhorse, uh, we, one of my crew managed to knock down a bridge, but that's a, a, a different story. Um, so from there, <laughs> I kind of followed um, the crew around. When I um, left the industry to go into the rail industry, um, because I was using the equipment, trying to sort some issues out that were from my equipment hire business there, um, I carried on because I was doing some cold salting work for a friend of mine who has a security company that supplies security security people to locations so I've stayed with the industry about uh, about 10 years and carried on working with them um, and then about three years ago unfortunately um, a friend of mine who who I'd met on Harry Potter um, took his own life um, and we we kind of set up six feet from the spotlight to try and stop that happening again it also coincided with uh, with the same at the same time um, one of the bands that I know, uh, their lead singer was having issues in the US. Um, they're called Nothing But Thieves. Um, and their crew contacted me via Twitter um, asking if they had, if they knew anybody who knew anything about mental health and could help them with their mental health or the crew. Um, and I didn't really know a great deal, but I was sitting with my brother in law, who's a psychiatric nurse and runs uh, Young Healthy Minds up in Manchester, um, and also my sister, who's a, who's a clinical psychologist. So from there, they were the they're the clinical people who sit behind it, uh, who sit behind six feet from the spotlight. And I try and do the, the business running, but also looking at how the processes in the film and industry, film and TV industry could change to, to improve people's mental health. 
health. So yeah, so that's that was about three years ago. So yeah, okay. and it's gone from strength to strength now. So it's a sort of charity that's really focused on um, the artists and then also the production uh, people involved in, in the industry. Is that right? Yeah, it's mainly the production people um, because that's kind of where we, we set up from, but we're slowly getting um, people who are artists involved as well. Um, so uh, that's really around theatre we're getting more more people in theatre but we're looking mm -hmm. at the crew because there's nothing there's nothing there to support them at all um they're all really freelance people um they they go from job to job um they're themselves there's very little accountability in the industry um and also um so that they there's no support from them there's not mm -hmm. like a normal corporate structure where you, where you have something that you have a you have a, an hr department or an occupational health department to help you out the, the things that kind of drive issues in that industry uh, really are around if you if you look people are freelance they don't know whether they're going to get their next job um, mm -hmm. so they, they've got a fear of not getting the next job if they say something um, the hours are long um, they don't have much uh, they don't have any control it's a six-hour day uh, that kind of thing so they they there are there's high demands on people. They have little control over what they're doing. Um, mm. There's no support um, because they're worried about their next job. There's a bullying and harassment can, can come into play as well. Um, because if, if, if somebody was being bullied or harassed, they don't say anything. Sure. Um, and they're changing jobs every five minutes. So every, every few months they go, go off with some new people and uh, a new place. Um, people talk about the glamour of the film industry. Well, um, I've spent time on, in a marquee on a field at the top of a mountain in Scotland in February. Um, and it's not particularly glamorous. It's fine when you're wandering around, when you're wandering around on the red carpet in Leicester square for a, for a night after you finish. But yeah, uh, yeah the rest of it's not particularly glamorous. So, so you yeah. just, you mentioned that, you know, you're out on location. Can you describe to us just the anatomy of what makes up the physical production side of film and TV? Cause, cause a lot of our listeners um, won't be coming from that background. And so this will all be new to them. So and that probably also, if you explain it to us, will give us an insight as to why there are problems um, in the industry with mental health. Yeah, sure. So um, it, when you see a film, a film set, it's usually funded by somebody like Warner Brothers or Disney, but they create an extra company um, called a, a production service company who do the uh, who, who actually make it. So they give them several million pounds to go away and make it. The freelancers uh, are, are then gathered together by the uh, producers the producers are the ultimate client so they will appoint a director and the director is the guy who will have the creative most of the creative vision um, the location management team will go out and find locations um, and work with the art department to make sure those locations fit the vision of the director because the director will be feeding artwork into the or will be, be working with the art department to get the art the um the visualization um so they're all freelance guys working together it's very feudal system um hierarchical system a little bit um you have heads of departments so there's a location manager he'll have a location assistant um they'll be the lowest of the lower people are runners um so they're usually people who started in the industry and they end up making tea and all that sort of stuff um, but also then moving throwing call sheets around the call sheet is the um what's going to happen that day so it, it becomes very feudal um and there's very little accountability uh, as to who's looking after who um okay. and that's that's it so yeah so i can see with that with the hierarchy with that comes the psychology as well um and that's going to affect whether people want to speak out do you want to just take us through the prevalence of mental health illnesses 
in in the industry because it's very different to the general population yes yeah so about this time last year uh, the film and tv charity ran a survey called through the looking glass uh, and they asked well they they asked for people who worked in the industry to come forward um and fill in their survey and they got nine and a half thousand responses um we think there's about 150 160,000 people who work in the industry in the uk it might be a little bit more than that um but they got nine and a half thousand re- responses so it's statistically sound uh, it was done by lancaster university the work foundation but it came out that 87 percent of people who responded had had a mental health issue whilst working in the film and tv industry which is wow. um that's shocking normal yeah which is shocking and the normal uh, level is six, about 66 percent uh the more worrying one is that 55 percent had thought about taking their own life instead of the 20 percent in the in the normal population um and 60 odd percent had said that they wanted to leave the industry at some point so there is obviously a a a bit of a mental health crisis in the industry that is just saying something isn't it there there is something going on to 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 make people uh, to take people to those thoughts and also to you know whether to leave the industry or just to 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 leave existence what are the other sort of uh, difficulties in the industry um I've said bullying and harassment. Uh, they work a six-day week, um, so very often they don't know that they're going to miss people's um, weddings, funerals, birthdays, things like that. So they they don't get chance to do that. It's quite often working away from home. Um, obviously, with some of the big productions, you end up all around the country uh, at varying points, and for quite a long time. So people don't realise uh, if you take the Batman project that I worked on, we started. Uh, I think the first time I went to Woolerton Hall was in February and the shoot was actually in July uh, and then a bit of clear up afterwards so it's probably the end of July so you've got a, probably a six month period there where, where we were away I was able to go back back up to home quite quite a lot but um, there's obviously so obviously it's quite quite long while you're working you're trying to find your next job so mm-hmm. they're all thinking we need to find our next job. And that's one of the main drivers is that fear of never getting that next job. So if you do say something or you don't do something correct, correctly um, or you rub somebody up the wrong way or they take a dislike to you, then you're out of a job. Um, and then, and the, that, that fear is the thing that, that drives a lot of it, but also that control over where you can work um, and when you can work and missing things. So um, it, it's that thing that drives the mental health issues um along with the long hours of course because then you don't sleep um and then it's a spiral so uh yeah people people don't sleep because they're stressed um and then you get into substance abuse um and things like that to try and keep people going when when you guys are out on location for six eight weeks at a time do people start drinking heavily or substance use how does that pan out it tends to be i think more um individual than necessarily a group thing so there will be the odd party at the end of things but usually if it's if it's during the production it's it's people doing it themselves right. um, as, a a cope, s- as a coping mechanism yeah yeah self-medicating um, yes with alcohol and drugs yeah rather than rather than it being a uh I swear, you know music tours and things like that perhaps slightly different in that their uh people go off and they'll have a drink uh, after a, after a gig in the evening um and they'll stay up till three till the bus leaves but it's slightly different in the film and tv industry uh in that it's individual but there is also a culture if you if you go to pinewood studios there is a um there is a bar um and you can go for a drink there and people do but it's not it's starting to to die away a little bit but in the past there have been people who've who've spent sort of the afternoon drinking in the bar there 
so your um, uh, charity is basically trying to drive a change um, within the industry. Um, yeah. Why do you think industry hasn't cottoned onto this already? I, that, I think it's the lack of, it's the lack of accountability. Um, mm-hmm. So you see that there's a general perception that a company like, and this might be talking a little bit out of turn because I'm sure they, they think they do, but they don't understand that they have a duty of care to freelancers. So, um, and especially in terms of mental health. So if you go on set, there's usually a health and safety executive, somebody there from health and safety consultancy usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, there's and a legal will, duty, isn't there? There's a legal there duty. There is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So under the health and safety at work act, um, you have a duty of care to anybody who's in your employ, regardless of what their status is. So whether they're an employee, PAYE, whether they're a contractor, whether they're a visitor, uh, or whether they volunteer, you still have a legal duty of care. And then under the managing safety regulations, 1999, you have a reg- you have a duty of care, to, or you, you have to do stress risk assessments, or you have to do risk assessments. Um, and since more than half of the days lost in the UK now of through stress, then you should be doing stress risk assessments. Very few organisations, with it, even within, uh, even outside of the film and TV industry, do that. So they have, to, they should be doing that. Um, but it's this perception of duty of care that causes the main issue. Um, they think they don't have one to freelancers, and the freelancers themselves haven't noticed that they do have that the company they're working for has a duty of care to them. Mm-hmm. So it's this whole, it's, that, a, it's a lack of, yeah, the lack of accountability and the lack of awareness as well. Of rights you do have yeah. as well, yeah, yeah, exactly, and, yeah. and you know, um, it's a false economy, isn't it, for for um, film industry to not take care of the mental health of its staff because it's an economic uh, sort of impact, isn't there? There is, yeah. You, um, my first job, obviously, to go down to Leaves and Studios and try and sort out the kind of commercial mess there was down there, gives you the, uh, you know, then. At that time, I wasn't working with mental health at all, but I could t- I knew when I got down there that people were stressed about, they didn't know what they were going to pay, and it causes friction. So in actual fact, by the t- when you go down there and resolve some of the management issues down there um, and take that away from them, the stress reduces, and therefore the, everybody gets on better and does a better job. But there's, um, there's a, uh, a good study which came out uh, probably just before lockdown in February by Deloitte, which shows you that for every one pound you invest on mental health uh, of your workforce, you get five back. And that's simply because people don't make the right decisions when they're stressed or anxious. Um, they they go into the wrong cognitive state and they're not thinking about what it is they're doing. They're thinking about flight or flight or fight um, and, and their own survival rather than actually doing the best they can for that company or the, or the performance of that, uh, of the, of the film. So it inhibits the creative process. It inhibits, um, their own, uh, their, their efficiency, productivity and your efficiency. So it's well worth, uh, investing basically because, um, it, it, that's something that will improve. I'm just doing a paper now for the chemical industry, um, about how stress impacts safety performance so you come into human factors in terms of safety performance because people don't make the right decisions absolutely absolutely yeah i mean i've got an a&e background too you know too little pressure um brain's not stimulated not going to perform too much pressure and you're just not able to to do what you're trained to do um people are talking about well-being in the nhs but i think um practical solutions on the shop floor 
to prevent mental illness and prevent people becoming overstressed uh, to enable better performance. I think realistically that's still a way to come. Um, and actually you're, you're championing that within your industry as, as one of your kind of four pillars, the, the kind of solutions that you've identified um, to improve things. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I came, uh, well, I found the concept of four pillars, which actually came from uh, the National Air Traffic Control Center. Um, and they, they use it um, because that's one of the high stress jobs, obviously, because you're looking after all the people on the plane. Um, but they basically, so what I was trying to do is, is separate out the, 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 because there's a myriad of things to do with mental health at the moment. You have anti-stigma campaigns, time to talk campaigns, uh, mental health first aid. You have uh, all sorts of different things. And I tried to set it out. So the four pillars really were prevention. So what can you do to prevent uh, mental health issues happening? Because that seems to be the thing that gets missed. The interventions that you can put in, so that's your therapies and uh uh, mental health first aid and where do you send people plus a few other things you can do such as peer networks then what do you do with somebody who has got a mental health issue um, or, or a diagnosis but also somebody who um, who suffers at work and wants to come back again so how do you make make some resilience work and, and work with them to recover um, and then how do you measure all this because you've got to measure that you're being effective or not sure. um, because that will then inform your cha what you do next so we came up with those four pillars um, and then drill it down to something practical so in terms of prevention it's writing a policy or setting a set of um, set of procedures i suppose or a, or a charter uh, actually doing some risk assessments um, training people so they're aware and they become mentally health uh, or mental health literate um, because there's a lot of misconceptions around mental health so uh, training people about about the different types of mental health and what can cause those um, and how you could spot them so that's it dips into a little bit mental and health first part of this prevention and intervention strategy um, involves mental um, health and well-being practitioners and is that really embedded into the crew staffing so in the future you know you, you've got your riggers you, you've got your lighting guys and now you've got your mental health well-being practitioners in there that's the that's the dream is to have that happen yeah. so um it's been trialed uh, by a colleague of mine leo thomas on three productions um so she did she was she did that on uh his dark materials and trigonometry before Christmas. Um, and then she was due to go on to a BFI funded film uh, just before lockdown, which obviously has been put back to September, but that was, they, she was going to be that. So she's somebody who's in place, A, to advise. Um, and the, the, the idea of this role is that this, they're not just a mental health first aider, they are mental health first aid trained, but then have other training as well. Um, so they, they're able to advise the production on what they can and what they should do a little bit like a stunt coordinator so you have it if you're doing stunts you have a stunt coordinator who's a guy who who doesn't necessarily perform the stunts but he will say whether or not they're safe and how they can be done so he will discuss with the director how that works so, so, so really it's not it's not about um adding more staff to the the existing crew it's just enhancing um the training and skills within yes yeah, so the, some of the big productions you would put somebody independent on because then you've got third party. But some okay. of the others, yeah, there is there wouldn't never be the budget there. So it's about enhancing the skills of somebody who's who already has to. We, we're toying with them at the moment about the right type of person because uh, obviously they need to be. Uh, you can't just train everybody to be a well-being 
facilitator they need to be uh a have experience of the film industry mm-hmm. but also have uh the empathy um and the right kind of um, be in the right frame of mind themselves to deal with other people as well um because obviously if somebody's stressed at work or is having a panic or anxiety attack then you need to be able to to work on to deal with that um and be in a good place yourself um, and i would, I would have thought I would have thought the well-being facilitators themselves would need some kind of pastoral support or supervision as well, because that's quite yeah. a burden if it's if it's a huge setup and you're the person yeah. dealing with it. Yeah, um, precisely. Precisely, and that's the same thing with mental health first aiders in any organisation. I think is that they need to have support in the background because they could be dealing with something that's quite quite stressful themselves or can cause anxiety themselves. And usually, the people who who put themselves forward have had mental health have yeah. had lived experience as well so yeah. um they, they could always end up in the back so yeah having that support in the background um and people knowing where to go so this is where the production plan which is one of the other ideas which i was i've been uh, on my soapbox about is that productions will plan for health and safety um, but they don't necessarily plan for how they're going to help mental health. So they should know where they can go and get support beforehand. They, when you when you go away on location, you get what's called a movement order, and it will list the nearest doctor's surgery, the nearest dentist, the nearest hospital, right. but not what's available in that area in terms of mental health. And, and we all know, it. You, you guys working in the NHS will know uh, the mental health uh, provision in each different area and trust changes considerably depending on where you are. So they need to they need to be thinking about that beforehand. And if there's film and TV, charity helpline can help as well. Uh, then that's all well and good. But what we've kind of done with Six Feet from the Spotlight is, um, if somebody rings me or uh, one of the team, we'll go to um, we'll go to the uh, director of uh, Young Healthy Minds in Manchester, and he'll go straight on the NHS system and find out what's available in that area, and try and point us in the right direction quickly. Um, I think I think you know reactive phone lines are great Um, it can um, stop things escalating but it does need presence of mind of that individual to to seek help Um, but what you're proposing is something very different this is a change to the normal working culture um, where probably everyone in the crew at the start would have some form of induction whether it's online some piece of information saying these are this is the process you know if you're struggling um, and this is how you might notice that you're struggling. Um, and and this is the person to go to if you've got a problem. Precisely. Yeah, I mean, that's, exa- that's exactly it. Because um, reactive stuff and whether somebody will go if they, they don't know. Um, so a couple of the cases I've had, we've had uh, one of the security guys that I, I know rang me and said, um, there's a guy who's been sleeping in his car for the last three weeks because he's had relationship issues at home. Um, and he's now talking about, taking his own life what do i do um immediately ring 999 get mm-hmm. him to a and e do something like that but so obviously that guy knew he was struggling um but nobody had nobody had spotted it so we've now trained these guys to, to try and spot that but it takes if you're going to spot something you need to be with somebody all the time um or or usually um not all the time but in and occasions you do need to be with them and these guys are working with each other day in day out so if they're actually able to spot it uh, and and intervene quickly or intervene before it gets to a real issue where you know because somebody might have known that he was struggling um in this that instance if they'd met, if they'd mm. understood and maybe have got him out there out of there quicker um and got it said all right look come and stay with me for, th- for a couple of nights and we'll, we'll sort you out um but 
obviously they didn't didn't yeah. in that instance but he's fine so uh, yeah so we got him got him into the uh, it, mh, it, MH it is really it is really challenging i mean i've got a decade of clinical experience and it's not always clear where suffering is happening um so i think you know for someone that's not medically trained not a psychiatrist not a mental health nurse um that's going to be an even even harder job you know you can have intuition but then the there's this intangible sometimes with uh, mental health illness and i think it can only be good to have better training better education within the industry to to prevent unnecessary deaths um yeah but i think you're actually saying it's not just about um not just about the deaths but it's actually about uh, being positive about it and not getting to that point yeah yeah i think uh, i think there's a lot of a lot of things that i see at the moment are about um therapy after things have happened and what i want in any my industry i came from the chemical industry so um i spent most of my career trying to stop things blowing up and then i go in the film and tv industry and they want to blow things up but i also see so i, I come from this this prevention end um, of trying to prevent that happening and if you take so if you take high hazard materials you do everything as your chemical engineer to try and stop them that getting out or uh, causing injury um, and you don't you only have first aiders there in case something goes really really wrong um, and that's that's the kind of mentality that I want to put into the film and TV industry in terms of mental health is let's try and prevent it before, and it, it will bring commercial benefits, safety benefits. It'll bring ethical benefits, all sorts of things um, to try and prevent this happening before we get to that point. I understand that you can't always do that totally with, um, with what we're dealing with because there's, there's things outside of work as well um, that will impact. But you have the, uh, I, in my experience of dealing as a, as a fairly high level manager for many years, um, if you have people who work for you who are bringing things outside of work into work, then they will do. If you support them in work and they don't stress them out so much in work, quite often that helps them with what's happening in their external life as well. Sure. So they can go away and help. Because so no one really balance. truly lives in two compartments of work and then yeah. life. It's, there's such crossover, yeah. isn't there? There is a lot of crossover and it's, and it's usually, if they feel supported at work, it, it probably helps them to go and deal with whatever's happening in there. Um, whether it's a bereavement or a relationship breakdown, it helps them to go away and, and, and deal with that a little bit better if they, if they feel supported in their work as well. Um, and, and they give more, they give more back then as well because they feel valued. So in terms of now influencing the change and, and getting um, what you've proposed to happen, um, how, how, are you, how are you doing that? So what we're trying to do at the moment is, A, we're coming up with a package to actually train wellbeing facilitators. That's one thing that we're trying to do. In terms of actually doing the change, um, we're working, I'm working with um, some of the associations involved in the film and TV industry to try and garner their support. So um, I'm doing a talk for Directors UK, who are the, um, the, the guild of, of the film and TV directors next week. Um, I'm, talking to Warner Brothers uh, physical production teams so we're and we're working with a film and TV charity as well so um, we're talking to the film and TV charity quite a bit plus screen skills uh, BAFTA uh, we're on the BAFTA website as a support uh, during COVID um, and the BFI so the uh, which is the British Film Institute um, and they they've got the British Film Commission as well who put out the new COVID 
protocols for sure, to going back yeah. to production. And they had one line on for mental health, which was phone the helpline, phone the film and TV charity helpline. This, so this is classic. We, this is in many industries. <laughs> I recognize that. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, we wrote to them and said, look, that's not good enough. You're going to have to do something else. And now we have got, considered building a plan, considered putting a well-being, uh, somebody who's mental health trained on set, yeah. consider doing this. Uh, it's, so we're getting there. It's, it's, well, this it's is a step it. up. It's, it's not this a band-aid, is, it's a step. <laughs> I mean, this is it. Um, you know, COVID's happened, it's happening, but it shouldn't stop momentum of things that are worth doing and need to happen. Yeah. Um, if we can continue the momentum, maybe we're going to um, improve the lives yeah. of, of people in your industry. Yeah. Well, we've had, I mean, apart from you guys who are working in the NHS, every, all of us have had time to stop and think. Um, mm. And using that time to stop and think and actually go forward and change, to make, use that as a drive force for change and actually gather all your thoughts and gather everybody together. It's been a fantastic opportunity for that. Um, you've got to weigh that up a little bit with the fact that it's going to have caused more stress and anxiety for people because they haven't been in work. Um, uh, and a lot of people are not supported by the government's furlough scheme uh, who work in the industry, which is sure. another, so, another. So with these, um, these guys that are, are working temporary contracts, um, often are they, are they not covered then? Um, no, unfortunately not. They're, um, they've slipped through the net because the self-employed, um, scheme that they put together you had to produce three years of accounts some people have only been doing it for a year or two years they have a variety of contracts some people will go on paaye for for one or two contracts and then come off and go self-employed so it's just a a bit of a, a model so there's quite a lot of people so back to the union for crew excuse me and um the uh, the film and TV charity have all taken that up, and directors UK. So some of the some of the big um, organisations are taking that up with um, with the with the government. So is there going to be a kind of fund from those organisations to then yeah to help? Yeah, uh, Netflix, Sky, and a couple of others. Warner Brothers put in quite a considerable amount of money to the film and TV charity to distribute to people who had as a hardship fund. Uh, sure. I think most of that's gone now. Um, there's some good initiatives going on. A couple of the location managers um, that I used to work with, Vinnie Jassel and Georgette Turner, have put together a GoFundMe um, page where people can donate for some of the really, and they're, they're then handing that out to um, some, and uh, some of the, really hard people off who are in that who are in the locations department and they got enough money they've just opened that out to other departments so if somebody's really struggling they can go to them as well um it's not it's not masses of money but it's enough to so that get by can get by yeah yeah uh, so if people want to uh, our listeners want to um support the charity um what's the best yeah. way to to do that there's a couple of things they can do um we we can we do have a donate page which is on www.6 6ftfrom.org or um, the other way is I run um, mental health managing mental health courses every so often which goes through um, some of you some guys won't need it but uh, I have trained medics before so um, is looking at uh, it looks at the prevalence of mental health issues um, a very quick overview of the different types of mental health issues but then goes into what you can do in the workplace to help manage them in a positive manner so you can put in things like well-being um well-being plans for people what's you what it goes into what's the law uh and what can you do as a manager to support your team 
Um, so if they want to, if anybody wanted to do that course, I do run them every, every couple of weeks. Uh, it's online now. It used to be face to face, but it's now online for about three hours. And it, I basically charge the, the, uh, cover of the, uh, the cost of the book that comes with it. So, uh, and a, and a bit of postage and a couple of IIT costs. So it's not, uh, it's not expensive by any stretch of the imagination. It, it's, it's called IACT, which is, um, it's developed by, clinical psychologists over in um, over in wales uh, at cardiff met university um it's up for some awards in the next hopefully in the next few months as well as a as a good work really good workplace um course as well so. it really seems like a you know a worthy and useful thing to be doing um so yeah. you know those of you out there got a bit of time on your hands apart from listening to this why don't you sign up yeah, um that'd be great <laughs> uh so the website was www.6ftfrom.org can you actually, actually, why is it called Six Foot from the Spotlight? That came from, yeah, no, we didn't, no. Uh, so that was um, the guy who, that was Stuart Dew, who is a legend in roadies. Um, so he's, he's the uh, tour manager and uh, chief guitar tech for Nothing But Thieves. Um, and he came up with the idea of Six Feet from the Spotlight. So we kind of looked at it and changed it to um, Six Feet From a little bit because you can go six feet from anything, really. And then COVID came along and we've all got to be six feet from each other anyway. So it kind of, it kind of all fitted Ideal. together. That's where, that's where it came from. So um, it's Six Feet from the Spotlight because he was stood at, he's always in his little side at the side of the, uh, playing around with guitars, restringing them when, or catching them when they're thrown at him, basically by uh, by the band. So that's his. Uh, that's where it comes from. Yeah. So Stu, and I have to mention Stu, otherwise he gets upset. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Matt, thank you for for your time today. We've just been talking to Matt Longley, um, who's the the founder of Six Feet from the Spotlight. Very impressive work that's going on really championing mental health and early uh, mental health support in the industry of film TV. Um, absolutely love the novel idea of, of having, just changing the crew structure, bringing in um, additional skills to those that are there or additional people to provide well-being uh, support. Why? Because it improves your life, because it improves performance, you get a better product, it saves money. What's not to like about that? Um, so just really thank you for sharing your story and hopefully um, we can spark a bit of interest from, from our community uh, in the, the roadie medic world, um, which is now international. We, we have about uh, 80 listeners and um, got a, a couple here and there in Brazil, in, two in India. Uh, so hello to the two Indian listeners out there. Um, <laughs> There's three, I don't know, six in Australia, a couple in Canada. So if you, if you actually want to comment or um, drop me an email, it's uh, roadymedic at gmail.com. And I'll probably have enough time to get back to you personally. Um, and, and if you want to be a guest and if you've got any ideas for topics that we should cover or any bands you want to plug, um, then uh, to that email address as well. You can tweet me at Aaron Castro ED as well. Uh, Matt, um, I'm going to leave the closing to you. Is there anything um, you want to sum up with or uh, anything you want to share with the listeners? I, I just want to say thank you, Aaron, for uh, giving me the opportunity to talk on your podcast. And yeah, if anybody does want to um, to get in touch, uh, my email is mattel at 6ftfrom.org. Uh, always happy to talk to people about ideas that they've got. And um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing in the music world. It's uh, yeah, close to my heart as well. So uh, we do try and help the music guys out. And, uh, and thank you for everything you've also done in the, uh, in the NHS as well. So yeah. Good on you. Thank you.
Hi, I'm Sam from Reflex Medical and we're really pleased to be working in association with the Roadie Medic. We're your complete one-stop shop for pre-hospital care equipment, from bandages to defibrillators and everything in between. Our range is continually expanding and is comprised of some of the leading brands in the pre-hospital arena. We only sell equipment we would be happy using in our own event medical work as we know our customers deserve the best. We can supply bespoke and fully kitted bags and can offer leasing or hire options to help you get started. Contact us today on hello at reflexmedical.co.uk or give us a call on 0800 862 0344. Get 10% off everything in our range when you use the code ROADIEMEDIC at checkout at reflexmedical.co.uk. There's no minimum order and delivery is free when you spend £20 or more.